Welcome to the Sunset Community Church podcast. You're listening to sermon audio from our Sunday morning services. For more information about Sunset Community Church, visit us online at sunsetcommunity.church. If you're ever wondering how fun it is back in the kids' area, then um, we're always looking for people to volunteer and serve, and it is fun. You know, the holidays like Father's Day and Mother's Day and, and others often stir up a lot of emotions and different feelings in, in us. Um, for me, this is the first, my first Father's Day without my father, as he passed away just a few months ago. Um, but I'm grateful for him, and I'm grateful for, for the men in our church who lead well and love well. Um, this morning, we're, um, we just started last week this series, Walking Through Your Favorite Book of the New Testament That You Didn't Know. Um, called Titus, uh, also one of the shorter ones in the New Testament. Um, and this morning, we're going to be talking about the implications of, of leadership. And we see God has this design in the family uh, with both godly husbands and godly wives, fathers and mothers. Um, and that same design that God had for the family he has in the church and also in society. Um, you know, I've, I've worked personally, I've worked under a lot of um, different types of leaders over the years, um, both good leaders that have really taught me a lot and bad leaders that have also really taught me a lot, uh, weak and strong. We all learn different things, right, under different types of leadership, um, and in recent years, there's a, been a lot of emphasis on leadership in general. Um, the, the term is thrown around a lot. There are, I mentioned this some weeks ago, if you were to look on Amazon for leader or leader in a title of a book, Leader or Leadership, um, there's tens of thousands of books that are written. In fact, every year, somebody's writing a new book on leadership. Hey, here's something else you didn't know. So this emphasis on leadership is in our culture. We understand that, that organizations and families and societies and governments, they rise and fall on the level of leadership that we have. The question we're going to ask today, we're going to look at in Titus, is what makes a good leader in the church? What makes a good leader in the church? And that's the focus of our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. If you're having a hard time finding Titus, it's right before Philemon, which is even shorter than Titus, which is right before Hebrews, which is a little bit longer, kind of towards the back-ish of the New Testament. It's 1031. Yeah, 1030, 1030, 31, if you're using the Blue Bible in the pew. So let's read this text together, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. 
He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message it is, as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is the word of the Lord. And this morning, God, we ask that this word would be translated from our heads to our hearts, that you would show us what your design and intention is, that those things that are timeless truths would be um, relevant and applicable today, that we would see those things and we would walk them out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just to recap where we are, um, Titus is a leader that had been walking with the famous missionary named Paul. They'd known each other for about a decade, and they had ministered together on this island nation called Crete in the Mediterranean Ocean. Today, Crete has a, a, over half a million people on it. It's about 150 miles long. It's one of the bigger islands in the Mediterranean, the biggest of the Greek isles. And so Titus and Paul had traveled through um, Crete, sharing the message of Jesus, and people were responding. People were saying, whoa, we want to know Jesus. They were placing their faith in who Jesus is, and the message that Jesus gave, they were taking and making it their own. And so that's the, the focus of our text this morning, uh, then turns to why Paul left Titus behind. <laughs> Paul would move on. He would do missionary work in other places. Why would he leave Titus behind? From one leader to another, Paul makes it really clear in what we just read. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So we get this idea that the, the church in Crete was not just in one particular area of Crete, but it was in the multiple towns of Crete that many, many people had responded, had given their faith, their allegiance, their lives to Jesus. And so Paul says, there's some work to do now. You need to, to put together some leadership. And so I can imagine, uh, as the, these people had received the message of Jesus, the, the next question was, what now, um, just like today when believers uh, in new areas come together, we then have what we call the church. The church is born. It's the people of God that have responded to the message of Jesus. So they've come together. But then back then there was no Christian radio. There was no Googling information on what to do as a church. There was no Bible. Think about that. And so these New converts now had to come together based on the, the, the probably little message that they had heard from Paul and Titus and now figure out what to do. And so Paul, knowing this, says, it's, hey, we need some godly leaders in place to help organize and direct and shepherd so that this, these new believers can be about the mission of, of God. So the term that is used here is elder, elder. What is an elder? Uh, if you've grown up in the church, um, you're probably familiar with this term. But traditionally in the Jewish culture, there had always been elders. They were typically older men who cared for, protected, led, and even taught the people. Like many things, we see the New Testament church adopt some of these similar Jewish ways. But now, instead of the primary lens being kind of Jewish culture... It was Jesus culture. 
It was through the lens of what Jesus had done. So they are now viewing even the concept of elders through this gospel lens of Jesus. And so this is the key for us as we think about elders. Uh, It was a cultural thing that was now imported into the church. And there's actually quite a few things like this in Scripture that would have resonated more quickly with the people 2,000 years ago than it does for us in Renton today. One of those imageries is Jesus often used the imagery of a sheep and shepherd to illustrate his relationship with us. Has anybody here ever raised sheep? We have somebody. All right. That's great. Not as common, right, uh, for us today. But we, in an international church, we have people that have experienced that. I love that. In, in John chapter 10, Jesus draws out this relationship between sheep and shepherd in this very intentional way. And he says, my sheep hear my voice and they respond to it. In fact, he says they will not respond to the voice of another. And it's really interesting. In fact, you, you probably know this, but the very first people that God thought should know about the Savior of the world arriving would be Shepherds, shepherds at night. So again, unless you grew up on a sheep farm, though, this illustration of us being sheep and Jesus being the shepherd may get a little bit lost on us. One of the craziest stories I've heard, I think I've maybe shared this before, of sheep and shepherd took place in the country of Turkey about 10 years ago, so not very long ago. Shepherds were um, tending a flock of about 500 sheep um, that belonged to a few different families. And they were having breakfast one morning, just kind of kicking back, drinking some tea, watching the sheep. And they were up on a plateau. And one sheep in this herd went to the edge of the plateau and thought it would just jump off the edge of the cliff. And then another sheep saw that and thought, wow, he must be going someplace interesting, so I'm going to follow him. And before the shepherds could even react, dozens and dozens of sheep started just following each other each other over the edge of the cliff. The article that I read reported that eventually so many sheep died that subsequent sheep that were just launching off this cliff were living because they were bouncing off the dead sheep. So sheep aren't always the smartest. (laughs) They often follow whatever is moving in front of them. Now we contrast this imagery of, of, of careless shepherds that allowed this to happen with a legendary shepherd we see in scriptures named David. And long before he was famous for taking out the giant, David risked his life on a regular basis for his father's sheep. So who are we? Psalm 100 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. So this imagery of leadership is rooted in who we are and who Jesus is. Jesus is the chief shepherd. Before he left, he commanded Peter, as it's recorded in John 21, to care for and feed his sheep. And so we see that as the church is established, there is a need for godly shepherds, godly leaders to serve Jesus as as a type of under-shepherd in this way. Now, these men uh, that are to to lead in this way are called different things in the New Testament. 
pastor, overseer, elder. Hence why Paul, as we read this, I don't know if you noticed, but he started with elder, but then he switched to overseer halfway through these qualifications. All of these terms indicate the same type of thing, that these titles are interchangeable and point to both the dignity, that's who these leaders are to be, and the duty, what they are to be about. Right now in our church, we have myself and Aaron who serve as pastor elder. Um, But as our church has grown in recent years, we've actually seen the need for more. More men that have this heart to to lead and to care for and to shepherd um, the church. And this was the case for the churches in Crete as well. As they and other early church communities began to form and grow, there was a need for spiritually mature followers of Jesus to lead and care for the community of Christ's followers. So if Jesus is the chief shepherd, in a sense, these leaders are to be his under-shepherds. So as we read this letter in Titus, we see some specific reasons why there's a need for elders. So there's a context here in Titus that may not be our context, but it may be our context. So I'll let you decide that. But one of the things we see is that there is false teachers in the island of Crete that are worming their way into these new communities, and this false teaching needs to be exposed. And so elders play a role in that. There are wrong beliefs also from the culture that also creep into the family of God, and so we need right teaching. Again, they didn't have the Bible. They didn't have podcasts. They needed right teaching to know what it meant to follow Jesus in the cultural context that they were in. And so there's a, there's a need for good leaders with right teaching, and we can't separate this, with right living. Right teaching and right living. And this model of godly leadership that Scripture lays out is still absolutely needed today because I believe we face many of the same challenges that the church in Crete faced. Let me give an example of some false teaching that I heard um, not too long ago. A while back, one of the pastors of one of the biggest churches, top three biggest churches in America, said something at a church gathering about worship, about worship. Listen to this. This pastor said, I just want to encourage every one of us to realize when we obey God, we're not doing it for God. I mean, that's one way to look at it. But we're doing it for ourselves. Because God takes pleasure when we're happy. That's the thing that gives him the greatest joy. So I want you to know this morning, just do good for your own self. Do good because God wants you to be happy. Listen to this. When you come to church, when you worship God, you're not doing it for God, really. You're doing it for yourself. Because that's what makes God happy. This sounds so good from a cultural standpoint, doesn't it? We just want to be happy. But is that true? When I'm worshiping God, I'm not doing it for him. I'm actually doing it for me. Maybe the song that we just sang, Aaron, titled, Lord, I Need You. Maybe we should change that. Lord, you actually need me. You see how... This idea that God loves us and wants us to be happy can be twisted. And we can make even our worship to him about us. 
This is false teaching. This is not what true worship is. So sometimes false teaching is that obvious. Some, but sometimes people teach the right thing, but live in the wrong way. And we see this how, all the time with leaders in the church. Abuse, infidelity, pride, greed. And the reality is there are both giant megachurches and small country chapels with, with false teaching and with bad leadership, with people that make it about them or about the culture. And maybe you've even experienced this yourself. And if so, this is exactly why godly leadership matters. And so this leads us back into those qualifications for these leaders, for these elders that Paul lays out and why they're important. Let's look at these again. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife. A man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. And this is where he exchanges elder for overseer, meaning the same thing. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Second time he's used that word. Not overbearing. Not quick-tempered. Not given to drunkenness. Not violent. Not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. One who loves what is good who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This list of qualifications all fall under this kind of big umbrella of being blameless. Paul used that word twice. Now, before you fire me as a pastor. This doesn't mean perfect. <laughs> but it does mean that elders in the church are to live in a way that people shouldn't be able to bring an accusation of sinful behavior against them. That our orientation as leaders should be in the direction of these qualifications. We should desire this. We should live this. We should model this. We should teach it. In this list of things, we see what an elder pastor should be and should not be. There's 16 that are listed here. Look at these again. Which ones stick out to you? Not quick-tempered. Self-controlled. Yeah. Faithful to his wife. We can see in our culture, and we've seen in our culture, when these things aren't true of leaders, the destruction it brings. What kind of picture does this paint? Like if you were to, to create an avatar, right, of a leader that displayed these things, what kind of picture does it paint? I think another question would be, how is this at odds with so much of the leaders that we exalt in our society? Would a president fit in this category? Maybe. I don't know. But God's qualifications are a little different than the world's, aren't they? Than the CEO of a Fortune 500 country, a company or the leader of the free world. This list is not all-encompassing. 
So let me say it again. This list is not all-encompassing, but it was meant to serve as a starting point. This is actually kind of like low end of the qualifications for what Titus was to look for in elders and pastors for the churches in Crete. Now, again, this is not like, there wasn't generations of Christians. So imagine as Titus was going through the countryside, or as he got these, these qualifications, he went, great, thanks, Paul. Like, these are Cretans, you know, like liars, they're evil, they only think of themselves. Thanks a lot for putting that bar up so high. There's another list that's really similar to this you'll find in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Timothy had a little bit easier in Ephesus because when Paul gave him these similar qualifications, the church there was a little bit older. There were some people that had been walking with the Lord for a while, so he probably had an easier time finding some leaders that fit those qualifications. But it's a very similar list. You'll see some cultural nuances. So again, this is not, these aren't comprehensive lists, but they are baseline. They're a starting point. First Peter chapter 5, Peter's an elder. He's the one that was tasked to, to feed the sheep of Jesus. And so he says something, too, about kind of this job description of elders. He says, To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. There again is that shepherd-sheep imagery. But I love what Peter says is the chief shepherd. We're under the chief shepherd. You are not the chief shepherd. And there's a few important things we see from Peter's description of what church leaders are to be about. The first thing is the church does not revolve around the leadership. It revolves around Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. Leaders will fail. And if the church revolves around a leader and not the leader, Jesus, then our faith and our hope is in the wrong place. Not to minimize the role and not to say that we aren't wounded when those things happen. We are when leaders fall, but our chief shepherd is Jesus. And unfortunately, in our Celebrity-driven culture, um, we often exalt leaders into places that only Jesus should be in. And so when they fall, the church falls, the entire body of Christ. We've seen a tangible example of this in the Seattle area with Mars Hill Church. When Mark Driscoll, who did not meet these qualifications, right? Not his, his anger, his own pride got in the way. When he fell... The churches, many of those churches, disintegrated. I'm grateful to say that some of them did not. I have, some friend, I have one friend in Spokane that's pastoring a, a church that was a Mars Hill affiliated, and they're doing well. But we see how when one leader is platformed, it becomes about him and his ministry, his influence, his brand, how the church is in an unhealthy place. So Peter reminds us about the chief shepherd, we also see from what Peter reminds us is that biblical leadership is servant leadership. He says this. He says, not lording it over. Biblical leadership is leaders that serve. They love. They make decisions based on both grace and truth. 
not personal preference or personal gain. And then, as we see from this description, too, that biblical elders lead by example, being examples to the flock, verse 3. Whether you're a parent, a coach, a teacher, a boss, or an employee, you can impact people by the way that you live your life. This phrase that I heard many years ago is, what they see is what they'll be. And so there is never a divorce between what you hear from the pulpit and what you see in my home. There shouldn't be. Who we are in private is equally as important as who we are in public. So godly leadership was key to the health of the early church, and it's still a crucial component to a healthy church today. So this may be one of those texts that you kind of skim over. Oh, I'm not an elder. This doesn't apply to me. But it does apply to you if you're a part of the church. This is an example of what a healthy church should look like and a healthy leader should look like. Elders exist because of the gospel of Jesus. And so their qualifications of elders culminate with the gospel in mind. These are men, as it said, who must hold firmly to the trustworthy message. What is the trustworthy message? It's the gospel. It's the good news about Jesus. This is central to who we are as a community of believers. God himself came into humanity in the person of Jesus. He lived like we live. And he experienced the world as we do. He saw the brokenness and the sin that leads to death, and he chose to do something about it. Sin, our sin, always leads to death. But when Jesus died without having sinned, think about that. Jesus died without having sinned. He then made a way for us to be free. Free from sin today and free from eternal death. This is the trustworthy message that we hold on to. A message of hope for those that are lost in their sin and a message of freedom for those who believe in the way of Jesus. It's trustworthy because it's true. We wouldn't be in this room if it weren't. And so as we consider the message that qualifications of leaders, we understand that the centrality of all of these things is what Jesus has done for us, his gospel. And so this morning as we close out our time in worship with a final song, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, we're going to have some of our leaders come forward and be available to pray with you during this final song. And I would encourage you and ask you to pray for us, pray for the leadership of Sunset Community Church, that we would be people that pursue the righteousness of God in all things. So let's stand together and pray to that end. Father, we thank you for your timeless word. We recognize that we live in a world that is confused about what is right and what is wrong, but your word is timeless and pointing us to what is good. May we be a church that pursues those things. Thank you that you are the chief shepherd. May our eyes always be set on you.
Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to sermon audio from Sunset Community Church. Sunset Community Church is located in Renton, Washington. For more information, visit our website at sunsetcommunity.church.